Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball Daily, the podcast we talk about baseball 365 days a year. Unless it's a leap year, then we're going to do another one. I've been doing this every single day since October 24th, 2012, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this outside on a beautiful day in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager, Bob Melvin, and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. Uh, today, I'm going to play part two of my conversation with Vanessa Ivy Rose, the granddaughter of Hall of Famer and Negro League star Turkey Stearns. We talked a little bit on Thanksgiving Day, Turkey Day, honoring her grandfather and talking a little bit about the Negro Leagues and the legacy and everything of that has happened over the years and keeping his memory and his spirit alive. Uh, she is no longer an NCAA basketball player. She is now a teacher in suburban Michigan. And we started talking because there are some topics and some subjects and some emotions that the two of us have been feeling over the last bunch of weeks that we figured was important to talk about. I did a whole podcast about the concept of asking difficult questions. And don't be afraid to ask the difficult questions because, frankly, we need to start asking them. We may not know the answers, but let's at least ask them. And some of them have to do with race, and some of them have to do with gender, and some of them have to do with politics. And a lot of them can be seen through the prism of sports. And so the second part of our conversation was about some of these barriers and some of these conflicts that we have in our society today and maybe ways that sports can help, if not answer the questions, they at least point out the ones we should be, we should be asking. So, with that introduction, here is Vanessa Ivy Rose, friend of Sully Baseball and granddaughter of Hall of Famer Turkey Stearns. And you, of course, got to be, you got to play in the NCAA tournament. I think about that all the time, you know, just the <laughs> opportunities that um, that we were given um, because we stand on the shoulders of people like my grandfather and right. Jackie Robinson and Roberto Clemente and, you know, all the greats. I mean, there were so many players who actually cared about making sure that future generations could have opportunities that they didn't have. Yeah. So, I mean, that really should be the natural connection, but I think it's easy for us to forget sometimes because, you know, we're, we're living in a different era, um, even though we're being reminded of some of those things that were <laughs> yeah. happening back then, of course, you know, Jim Crow attitudes and segregation and things of the like. Um, but, you know, definitely uh, I, I cannot look at, you know, my experience as a college athlete or as a human being, you know, as a black female um, without thinking about what my grandfather did and, and what so many other people did to secure right. human rights, you know, not just rights for African-Americans, but for all of us, you know. So right. Sometimes one of my greatest professors in college actually said something about, um, she asked the question, who does diversity help? You know, and I remember all my classmates raised their hands and said, uh, you know, minorities. And I was the first person to raise my hand, and I was a little bit, you know how you don't want to be, you don't want to go against the grain, you know. <laughs> There's like 15 people ahead of you have just said, you know, minorities and named different minority groups. Um, 
But I was thinking to myself, I'm like, doesn't it help everyone? You know, so I raised my hand. I said, everyone. And the professor asked me to elaborate a little bit. And then she went into, you know, a lesson about the power of all of us truly unifying and understanding that we need each other, you know, even though we come from different backgrounds. So, you know, it's I can't really look at my experience and where I've gone and what I've been able to do without looking at my grandfather. But um, I know this, that that's not the norm in society right now either. So, well, the, the it's wonderful you you ask you you answer the question that way because mm-hmm. I mean you even look at some of the players who have been World Series MVPs recently. Well, I mean you had this last year it was Zobris, but before you had. Salvador Perez, okay, you had Bumgarner, you had Ortiz, you had Hideki Matsui, you had uh, Sandoval. It means that all the best players are coming to this league to play. It makes mm-hmm. the quality of the game better. It, you, know, you know if you have, let's just take who's a great white pitcher right now, um, Clayton Kershaw, okay, mm-hmm. And you know if he's facing the best players in the world, no matter where they're from, no matter what color they are or what country they're from, you know that you're seeing him at his best. If Clayton Kershaw was pitching against me, yeah, he's going to get a strikeout. You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe so. Or I may foul one off. <laughs> I, I may foul one off, but eventually, eventually he'll ring me up. Eventually he'll ring me the heck up. But if he's going up against, you know, if he's going up against Lindor of of Cleveland, if he's going up against Jose Altuve, you know, he's going up against McCutcheon or whomever it is, integration makes you bringing all the best people in, theoretically, and that should mm-hmm. make the quality of, if you have the best minds in a university, the best people working in science, the best artists making art, that makes right. everything better. It raises your game. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, you you wrote you actually uh, didn't write it. You were you were saying it on one of your Facebook live posts. You are now a teacher. You are basically helping mold the next generation to be better than our generation. And <laughs> Tall order. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I think if I had known <laughs> that how the election was going to go this year, I might have picked a different profession. But I'm here uh, now, so I have to, you know, <laughs> work with it. So, and you brought up a really interesting thing that that uh, that sparked my own piece that I did and sparked what I did on the show a few weeks ago, podcast did a few weeks ago, is you brought up the fact that we have to start asking, at least asking the tough questions mm-hmm. in our society and not worry that it's a hard question because what's worse than trying to deal with a hard question is pretending that it's not there and ignoring it and letting okay. it fester. Um, you know, just like you said before, um, just thinking about my grandfather's connection to what I'm doing right now, you know, the opportunities that I have as a teacher, um, as a human being, as a black person, as a female, um, the, as an avid sports lover, you know, there's just so many things that I have to thank the people who came before me um, for. And if I don't recognize and honor where they came from, uh, I think it not only does them a great disservice, but also um, I'm not 
investigating my own identity, you know, and just how it's related to everyone else. And so um, I think that's what really sparked the post. You know, I had to go live because, you know, the election was tough to watch. Uh, that that night was a long night. Yeah. And, I, you know, I knew there was a, a, a huge thing that was going to happen with our students um, because I had checked Twitter at about 1.30 a.m., and I created a Twitter account just to kind of keep up with the students and, and let them know they can contact me and, and whatnot as, as a teacher in the building and as a resource. Um, but, you know, I had looked at their posts, and they were all very disgruntled, very confused, um, very hurt, uh, and there was a lot of fear there, you know, based upon some of the things that had been said during the campaign. So that's really why I wanted to um, go live on the Facebook post because, I recognize that teachers need help as well, you know, when we're trying to educate our students. It was tough to walk into work that morning knowing that I have students from all walks of life that I have to care for. You know, I can't pick and choose uh, who I'm going to give attention to. And, you know, as a teacher, I I know that the the parents trust me um, with not only educating their their students but also caring for their well-being, you know, mentally and emotionally, no matter – what their labels are, and, and like I said, that is a tall order. So um, I just wanted to, you know, open up the conversation and, and talk about some of the things that are difficult to discuss pertaining to race, um, pertaining to the labels that we place upon ourselves and the labels that others place upon us, the fear that's attributed to those things, um, and how to move forward. And I think honest, open dialogue is really where it starts, but... There's just so much stuff that we need to do, and it just became really apparent to me after talking with about, you know, 120 students that day after the election about what they were experiencing and what they had heard and what they were fearful of and and, right. uh, and just everything, just in general, because we had students on all sides, you know. It was a very polarizing thing um, that had happened where some students were not concerned at all and were really quite confused about why anyone would be afraid. And then we had students on the opposite side who didn't even show up for school because of their parents or their own fears, um, fearing for their safety. And then students who had experienced some direct hate, you know, from some of their peers. And then just like I said, everything in between where people had seen some things and people were wondering if they should be a bystander or, you know, how to stand up for one another and how to connect and uh, what was okay to say and what wasn't okay to say. So there's so much. So that's why I wanted to have the um, opportunity to log on Facebook and maybe just, I don't know, put something out there for people right. to hear and and give and, and take suggestions as well because teachers, we need help. We all do. You know, well, we I all think, need each other. I think that one of the things that I brought up um, when I did my podcast and, and, and in kind of, inspired by what you had said, was that there's there's one sort of kind of what I call the conversation killers that we have to eliminate from the dialogue. And one of the ones is, well, it wasn't intentional. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, well, I didn't mean to offend you. Or I did, that's not meant to be hurtful. Mm-hmm. And that I think that, or it was, I didn't deliberately do something that was either discriminatory or hurtful or bigoted or or, or whatever that is. And right. to me, that's sort of, it 
the and I've been guilty of doing that myself. And so, well, hey, I'm you sort of in your mind think, well, I'm not Donald Sterling saying stuff. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm not burning a cross doing so I'm obviously not one of the bad guys. So naturally, right. if I say something, I didn't mean it, therefore everything's okay. Mm-hmm. And the subtext of that is and I brought this up about talking about Chief Wahoo and I brought this up about other things, is the subtext is I'm not offended, therefore you shouldn't be. I don't feel right. hurt, therefore you shouldn't be. And right. I think that instead there should be more people, whether you meant it or not, to sit back and be like, huh, I didn't mean to, but I did. Mm-hmm. So why did that happen and why did I why was did I think this was okay? An, an example I, you know, with you and me, that when you right. responded, my first reaction was, oh, it's Turkey Serge's grandson. Mm-hmm. Why did I, why was that my, you know, yeah. why was yeah, that natural my assumption. natural assumption? Is it because mm-hmm. I'm a hateful person? No, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't examine that. You know, because right. you should congratulate yourself that you're not a Klansman. You know, you're not supposed right. to be. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> you know, there's a gray exactly. area that we should that right. we have to be living in. And, the, and it's the, tough, yeah. 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 And, and the topic I was bringing this up about was the idea that, you know, minorities in, and I hate using that term, but I mean, it's minorities in management positions in baseball. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. in, if, in order to be a black manager or a Latin manager, you have to have the longest coaching resume in the world. <laughs> But you can go Thank you for right saying in, that. <laughs> you could go right in from you could be Walt Weiss coaching a high school team, like, Oh, why don't you be the manager of the Rockies? And mm-hmm. someone like Sandy Alomar Junior or Dave Martinez or Chris Chambliss or some people who've had unbel- you know, unbelievably long, impressive resumes are like, Ah, you know what, we're gonna give it to Robin Ventura. But why does, like, Sandy, I keep going back to Sandy Alomar and Dave Martinez because mm-hmm. they're the two most obvious choices. They should be managers. Right. And when you see the, the Marlins sometimes fire their manager in mid-game, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have, like, 15 managers a year. It's like, you know, you're trying to tell me that you, you can't, you, you, Willie Randolph really can't get shot number two? But even if it's not deliberate, it's still happening. Yeah, someone had mentioned um, at a conference I had gone to in Detroit, and it's an educational conference where um, the name of it is Allied Media, and someone had mentioned when we were discussing, you know, the way the social construction of race kind of um, impacts everything that we do, everything that we see, the media, sports, education, everything, politics. Um, And they said that, you know, pretty much every person is moved by racism uh, because they said racism is like a conveyor belt, you know. And so we're all on it together, and whether we say things or whether we do things that are racist or not, we're still constantly being moved by those things that are happening. And um, it's more so about, like, turning around and making the conscious decision to walk the other way. Because even though you're not saying anything, um, you do still probably have some type of privilege or you are living in America where we have a systemic problem, like you said, with things that um, are related to baseball, with hiring, 
um, when you're looking at Chief Wahoo still in 2016 and people don't understand why, uh, we should just maybe go with that C, you know, yeah. use the black C, even though, or even just the idea that that exists, right, the idea that the the organization can come out and say, well, while our primary logo is the black C, but we're going to keep the other one just for tradition, you know, um, well, we, we still see it everywhere. So <laughs> it's still on the patch. I, I, the patch is still on the sleeve, I believe. And, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm noticing on the cap still as well. You know, so um, you still see Go Tribe when you go down to Cleveland. We just went down a couple of weeks ago uh, yeah. before the World Series, you know, a couple before the World Series, actually, like the weekend before. But, you know, it's just interesting that people don't recognize that we're all moved by it, no matter what we say or what we do. Um, and, and it's tough to actually make a conscious decision to turn around and walk the other way because, you know, depending upon what you say, you're unpatriotic. Or depending upon what you do, you know, you look at Colin Kaepernick uh, yeah. and what he's been doing, you know, and, and people think that's very unpatriotic and attacking the military and whatnot. Or when people say, you know, black lives matter, people get upset and scream back all lives matter and, and things like that. So, it's an interesting dynamic that we have. As a kid, it was kind of driven into our heads. You shouldn't even notice race. You shouldn't even come mm-hmm. to your mind. It shouldn't even be something you even notice because that seems like, oh, yeah, that must be the answer to try to treat everyone equally. But the problem mm-hmm. what happens with that is we are the sum total of our experiences, our friends, the connections, the reactions we've made in our lives. And right. to assume that you have lived the same kind of life that I had, to at least acknowledge this is a different, you're looking at the world from a different perspective, and to not always just assume, well, you know, it's it's all the same. It's not. Right. It doesn't mean it's right. worse or better. It just isn't. And to ignore right. that is to ignore reality. Yeah, totally. You know, we have to examine our own personal lens and our cultural lens as well. Um, you know, just thinking about, like I said before, the the social construction of race. I mean, race is something that we've made up, you know, yeah. <laughs> over the course of our lives here and over the course of history. It's not necessarily our ethnicity um, because, you know, even funny thing happened when I went to a Tigers game, actually, with a friend of mine who we went to see the Tigers play Boston. And there was two fans that had on Red Sox gear, and, and you know I love Boston too. I have love, mm-hmm. even though that's you know <laughs> yeah, I get, that's I um, unheard of around here to speak of Boston and Detroit. Oh, <laughs> um, so I, I wanted to just show love to you know the fans and say, hey, nice jerseys. You know, I, I definitely appreciate Big Poppy and Pedroia and everybody. I, I like Boston. I had a good time when I went out there to see the Celtics and the Red Sox play. And I just wanted to be positive, you know. I just want to connect with people. And yeah. the guy wearing the Red Sox jersey was like, oh, oh, you're a Boston fan? I'm like, well, yeah, I know I have all my Tigers gear, but I appreciate Boston as well. And he's like, oh, oh, wow. And he's looking at me. He's like, wait, are you from the Dominican Republic? And I was like, what? Uh, and I'm like, why do you think that? You know, but I guess because my skin is brown and because, I'm you know, I had shown love. Uh, to Boston, so it's just interesting the way people will, you know, prejudge. Do what you should have said. Something about you. Do what you should have said. You should have said no. Are you? Yeah, right, 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 
Right. And I mean, it's just to think that you have to, you know, because I have shown love for something, then I must belong to that group, right? Right. Um, and, and that's kind of what we do. And that's the tough stuff that I love to talk about. It's like, why do we do that? Why do we do little things like that? I know that he didn't mean anything by it. Right. I know that he wasn't trying to be disrespectful and he was excited and he was smiling when he said it. He probably um, thought he was he reaching like, out. He probably thought yeah. he was being, in, in his mind, he was doing something friendly and inclusive. There was, there was right. nothing, I didn't, probably no malice at all. Exactly. You know? So, you know, even in his attempt to connect, that's where we were. And it's like, wow, that's a prime example of the social construction of race and, and what we're dealing with. And, um, uh, you know, when you do assume something about a person and you know that there's all types of stereotypes that go with whatever that label is. Right. You know, I mean, I could talk all day about people following me around the store, you know, just because I'm black or assuming that I work there just because I'm black. No matter what I'm wearing, I have on full Tiger's gear, you know, at a department store. <laughs> and uh, people are like, oh, you know, or in Target. Like, everybody knows that you wear a red shirt and khakis in Target, but... Um, you know, you can, I don't know, it's just, it's amazing to me what people think based upon just looking at you sometimes, and yeah. and sometimes that's, you know, what can get us into trouble and could get us harmed, actually, if you look yeah. at our world, too, as well, so. Yeah, anytime anyone tries to say, you know, like, it's all the same experience or anything, I just, I've been pulled over a few times in my life by a police officer, and I've never been scared. Absolutely. And, and I will never know what that feels like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's a, one of the things we talk question. to students about. Yeah. Yeah, we tell students as well, you know, because even when I'm coaching right now. Actually, we had practice today, and I'm an assistant coach for our um, boys' varsity basketball team here at the high school. And you know, we talk to our students about driving safely and things like that. And, you know, sometimes athletes like to show off um, yeah. <laughs> with their new wheels and things like that or whatever. But, you know, it's interesting what you just said about driving because, you know, we had brought that up at school one day that sometimes um, white students are told by their parents how to act appropriately when they're pulled over by the police. Right? The conversation is more about, like, being prepared and making sure you're polite and respectful and things like mm-hmm. that. Um, but then the conversation with our black students and athletes is, you know, their parents are saying, here's how to stay alive. Here's how to make sure that you come home. Um, yeah. And, of course, you want to talk about respect and what to say and what not to say and how to act and what to do. But I think those are two very different things when you're, yeah. you're trying to talk to someone about and try to prepare a young person um, for an experience with the police, and you're saying, "Well, here's how to avoid going to jail, and this is how <laughs> this is how you avoid dying." You know. So, one piece of advice I would give to a lot of my friends who don't have to do that, including mm-hmm. myself, is when mm-hmm. someone is talking who does have to go through that and does, mm-hmm. where this is a fact in their life. Mm-hmm. Listen, don't try mm-hmm. to. Don't try to tell them what they're thinking or feeling, what they shouldn't. Just listen. Make that be step one, and don't assume that we all have the same experience, and just listen. And I know there's probably some people listening to this podcast, 
who are going to be saying, oh, I wish he stuck to baseball. You know what? I'm doing 365 of these this year. I'm going to talk about the Brewers infield at one point, so you can relax a little bit. <laughs> but I think this is – sports can sometimes lead the conversation. You know, mm-hmm. whether it's the whether it's the, the, the fist being raised at the Olympics or Ali or Jackie or or Billie Jean King or Kareem or whomever – yeah, sports, you know, are what bring us together. And, I mean, if you go to, I think, arguably, music and sports are the top two most yeah. unifying forces, you know, globally. You mm-hmm. know, if you go to a concert and you look around and see who's there, you go to a sporting event and you look around and see who's there. So it's really a part of the conversation. I was kind of a little bit upset when you had said that before. I noticed you had mentioned it before that people were giving you a hard time about, uh, you know, not sticking to baseball. And um, uh, just, It's just a couple. Well, that's yeah. part of the problem is we, we think it's a separate conversation, but right. really they go hand in hand. You know, and, and maybe sometimes our lens doesn't allow us to understand that because that's not our experience, but truly it is. I mean, I would not have met you in the first place if right. it hadn't been for baseball. Right. So, I mean, at the end of the day, people just need to step back and understand that, I think. That's right. You know what? Sports can be a wonderful diversion, and it could also be a beautiful reflection. It can do both. And it's at its best when it does both, When it's whether it's healing after 9-11 or the Boston Marathon or, whether, or the San Francisco earthquake here in 89 or whether it's, forcing Pittsburgh fans to say, hey, wait a minute, our best player is Puerto Rican and dark-skinned. Huh. Mm-hmm. It isn't Bill Mazeroski. It's that right fielder who we laugh at because he can't speak English, and he's probably he's not only the best player on the team, but he's the smartest player on the team. You know, right. like you know, right. all sorts of, you know, things that we challenge. You know, oh, can, we can't have Ichiro play on our team because – those Asian players can't play position play. Oh, wait, he's the MVP. He's got 3,000 hits. Oh, man, okay. Yeah. You know, it makes, it makes it better. It makes life right. better, and it makes us as a people better. Absolutely. All right. Sully for president. Sully for president. Well, you, well, well, we can run on the same ticket, you know, because we can, <laughs> I can run. We'll get California and Michigan, and there you go. You know, so... <laughs> That's we gotta we balance. Need. We'll balance the ticket there, and so uh, <laughs> <laughs> how can they say no to us? We, we're squeaky That's clean funny. records, and then um, you know, and you'll you'll get Michigan in your pocket, you know, and there you go. That's right. That's right. All right, my dear. Well, look at um, say hello to your wonderful family. Uh, this has been a tumultuous year. Let's have love and peace and harmony, mm-hmm. and for God's sakes, a decent season out of David Price this year. My God. <laughs> I mean, let's, Step let's it go. up. <laughs> Step it up. I mean, you love the Tiger, and like, I, I, I've always, since hearing about how they treated you and your family on um, the Negro League's night and Curtis Granderson yeah. being, I root for Curtis Granderson ever since you told me he was a really cool guy. Um, yes, he's the best. You stop and think they didn't win a World Series. It turns out at one point they had four Cy Young Award winners in their rotation at the same time. <laughs> Can you believe it? We're going crazy over here, to be honest. <laughs>
Thanks, Vanessa Ivy Rose. Uh, I'll put a link to the first part of our interview on sullybaseball.com for today's podcast. Um, and we just we just continued talking on and on, but I figured this is a good cap for this podcast we had there. You know what? I'm going to stick to baseball in some other episodes, but there's some important stuff to talk about there. So go to sullybaseball.com, like me on Facebook, subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram. I'm everywhere. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. This has been the Sully Baseball Daily Podcast, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.